This week I'm joined once again by religious studies researcher Aaron French to discuss the Christology of Rudolf Steiner, alongside discussions on Christian esotericism, Lucifer, Araman, and more. I'd like to say a big thank you to all my paid patrons and subscribers for making all of this work possible. And if you would like to support the podcast, gain access to some exclusive content, or just keep the podcast going as it runs from donations alone, please find links in the description below. Otherwise, please enjoy. So, Aaron French, thanks once again for joining us on Medics Podcast. Thanks again for having me. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, the Christology, Christology of Rudolf Steiner, uh, which is basically his um, his appreciation, his studies, his research into Christianity, the life of Christ, the Gospels specifically. He's written multiple, multiple books on the Gospels. Christianity is mystical. Christianity as mystical fact is one of the books which is really the one I would say for people to start with because it ties in so much in one place for Rudolf Steiner's work in this regard. Um, but you also sent me a lot of stuff, Aaron, and there is obviously um, just a stupid amount generally with Steiner. If he's written about something, he's written a lot about it. Um, so really, I begin with an open question. Um, what was Rudolf Steiner's relationship with Christianity in the church? And I guess also, why can we even have this discussion where we're talking about Steiner's uh, Christology? You know, Why is it such a big thing within his uh, corpus yeah that's a good place to start i mean like you know the germans of his time he was critical of the church he was critical of the catholic church and critical of the protestant church sort of for different reasons but a, a shared reason was that he thought that they had sort of become rigidified to a certain extent that they had um over time they just sort of um become maybe too obsessed with, you know, right belief or orthodoxy and kind of like missing in his idea, some of the sort of esoteric, uh, deeper aspects of the religion. And there's a further thing about this that he was, um, you know, he did his, his, uh, his, not his dissertation, but his, around the time he wrote his dissertation, he wrote a book, uh, which is one of his most well-known books called The Philosophy of Freedom. Mm. So he was very interested in this concept of freedom. And so for him, he started to uh, connect this notion of freedom, a philosophical notion of freedom with this Christology. So for him, Christ is kind of this like bearer of the free intellect, the free ego. And so he, I think he, in his mind, he also uh, was trying to present a kind of free relationship to what he referred to as the Christ, this being the Christ, which we'll get into what he means by that. But that's his other, I think, um, sort of, even though he was, you know, he respected the churches and he went to Catholic churches and learned from a, a priest when he was younger. He, he was he was fascinated by the sacraments and all of these things. He sort of was interested in sort of producing this like um, free relationship, kind of more esoteric, maybe mystical, we could call it relationship with, with the Christ, a more direct one. Um, you know, he had in, in terms of his biography, he had a according to his own autobiography, he had a, a sort of awakening Christian experience around 1900. Mm. Prior to that, he was mostly into philosophy, mostly into science. He was into Goethe. So he had a, a sort of metaphysical bent and a spiritual bent to him. And he also uh, reportedly, according to his own account, was able to kind of have um, experiences of, of seeing spirits and so forth since he was young which he kind of just, his parents told him not to talk about that. And so he just sort of kept that to himself. But 
he wasn't like a Christian. In fact, he was quite uh, critical of, of Christianity. I mean, like during his, you know, he's into Nietzsche and, and Goethe. So he wasn't, he wasn't a Christian type of guy, but after his, um, this Christian experience that he had, which he had uh, during some of his darkest years in Berlin, he then became a theosophist at the same time. And immediately after he became a theosophist, actually, he was talking about this esoteric Christianity. It was sort of always part of his theosophical career. And eventually he breaks from the theosophical society to form the anthroposophical society, which is, is more, more his uh, kind of version of, of theosophy to a certain extent, which is much more Christian. In fact, when he broke from the um, theosophists, the head of the theosophy at the time, Annie Besant, called him a Jesuit, that he had been infiltrated by Jesuitism. And that's why he was now kept going on about the importance of this Christian stuff. But he doesn't say that for him, the importance of Christianity for Central Europe, and then by extension for the world in, in a sort of more uh, universal sense, which we could also talk about, had to do with things like uh, Rosicrucianism, had to do with um, kind of this Pythagorean, Pythagorean sort of Western um, esoteric, you know, occult slash um, Christian mystical stuff like Yaka Burma, things like this, like that whole stream of kind of Christian theosophy for him was important for, for Europeans, not just they, he, he said they had to learn Buddhism. In fact, he said Buddha, you know, he recognized the importance of, of non-European spiritual traditions as still having what the West had lost, you know, this is the way he put it, but rather than just sort of converting to these other religions or just, you know, appropriating them wholesale, he said that you used them in order to refine this kind of what that same thing within Christianity. So that's kind of one way I think I would put it in terms of his relationship. So in his relationship with the church as a sort of organization was quite fraught. And he was always attacked by theologians more than anyone still to this day, which is kind of also interesting. Mm. I mean, this is, <clears throat> this is something that came, came up actually in the discussion on Jung's black books with um, uh, a while ago was during this era, there's a shift, I believe it's from, uh, astrologically speaking, from the age of, so it's the dawn of the age of Aquarius, which right. symbolically, astrologically actually meant the move from institutional spiritual belief to individual spiritual belief. And this right. is sort of in the air. Um, and this is actually something also in the conversation which will be released fairly soon with Dale Brunsvold. He's saying that really the under the underlying um, thread, in, well, one of the threads for Steiner throughout his whole life is the importance of the individual consciousness in relation mm -hmm. to the whole, right? So the, what, what's the individual doing now? Um, right. And so, it, as you said, also to bring in Nietzsche, right? The idea mm -hmm. of Nietzsche's antichrist. It's like, well... I would argue, and I think Paul Bishop as well, the Nietzsche scholar, says the same thing, which is, yeah, he wrote a book called The Antichrist, but it's not anti-Christ. So there's still this, so it's like the, there's this becomes this huge gulf between Christianity and Christianity, where it's like the institution and the individual. And right, do you see this is where one of the big problems is for Steiner as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and maybe in this other talk that you had, that you was already you mentioned it, that um, the word anthroposophy means anthropos and sophia, the sort of sophia with spirit of wisdom, anthropos, the Greek word for human. So Steiner does talk about how in this time, the wisdom is supposed to come out of the human itself, human form, rather than from 
maybe a teacher or, you know, a tradition or something like that. Like you have to sort of generate this out of yourself. And, you know, his big criticism of Nietzsche was that Nietzsche sort of went right up to the edge mm. and then didn't go further into the spiritual. That was Steiner's criticism. of Like he got it all right, but then he stopped and he shouldn't have stopped. He, like in Steiner's mind, Steiner did this. He, he did the same thing as Nietzsche in terms mm. of, you know, casting off the, uh, you know, the structures of thought that you had you know inherited or something from European history, and then but then go into something new, a new form of spirituality. So that is a Steiner's project. Um, uh, I think of what he what he's doing, but you know it's it's sort of way um, deeper than that. That he is interested in a, in a uh, a kind of individ the, the development of individualism. So there is this whole like. Um, worldview that he inherits also from theosophy but that he develops to a, to a larger extent and um, in German it's eventually uh, the sort of development of, uh, of, hum of the human and it's sort of like Menschlichkeit is like humanity so that's in English you might refer to this as like the evolution of consciousness sometimes how it's uh, thought and it, it, he does talk about that but it's related also to, he talks about Kulturstufe, uh, the le levels of, of culture uh, developing over time. The human, the, but it's really humanity itself is de developing over time. Uh, and the, the world itself, the, the earth is, is developing, going through a developmental evolutionary process. So, you know, he was influenced by like Ernst Haeckel and uh, some of these early Darwinist ideas. So were the theosophists. I mean, one of the interesting things about something like theosophy and Steiner and Heckel, even though they kind of absorb and um, and uh, disseminate this social Darwinism, they were, in a certain sense, much more open to scientific discoveries than some of the more religious institutions who were very concerned that this was um, going to get rid of their religious beliefs about how old the world, how old the Earth is, you know, how old the universe is. Also, the, just the notion of evolution: how do you fit that in? to the Christian uh, belief system. Well, these people were trying to, um, to sort of knit these together. Theosophists were doing this. It had some interesting and problematic results. It sort of had both, you know, but Steiner was also big on this of sort of trying to stitch together the idea of evolution. And he, does, he has evolutions of culture, evolutions of consciousness, evolution of humanity is sort of the, the main thing. Um, and, you know, linking this evolution to um, stages in history and also to the evolution of the world. So I, I mentioned this to say that in his reading, which is also a product of, of its time, this evolution of Menschlichkeit, of consciousness, starts in a sort of um, embedded wholeness and uh, develops over time into um, distinct individuality of, the, of, of human beings experiencing themselves as an individual ego. And of course, uh, and he's not the only person to, to have this kind of worldview at the time, but this is sort of Eurocentric view that, that Europeans had uh, achieved this, you know, this individuality. Um, it is a positive thing. This is where you kind of have to keep going with Steiner. He does sort of talk about it in terms of positivity, but it's also a very negative thing because this is sort of, at this point that you go back, to, you know, we're going down, like, in Steiner's view, there is um, uh, they were at a sort of cusp that the Christ uh, idea is, is part of. That once you have this individuality, it's also easy to be um, to remain separate, 
to remain spiritually separate, to be trapped by materialism, to be egotistical, greedy, and all these things, which he is also seeing as what European culture has developed. I mean, European culture for Steiner brings the materialism, which is the biggest problem for him. And so that's why he wants us to look at um, Buddhism, how at how China civil, Chinese civilization, even in his time, how it functioned, to try to show that Yes, we Europeans should feel so great that we have developed individuality, but at the same time, this is going to destroy the world if we don't stop it <laughs> right now and develop a, a, a more holistic, a more spiritual, a more connected um, view. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something I've been reading about lately, actually, about. So maybe you can situate Steiner here. I mean, we're talking about this sort of synthesis between science and spirituality in a way. Um, and this was something I was reading about in Meditations on the Tarot, actually, about the difference between science and revelation in, in terms of the horizontal and the vertical. So revelation is something that comes down from above and then is filtered through people who can... Uh, you know, open themselves to it and accept it. And then they communicate it via books. So it comes down from, from the above to the below. Whereas science basically begins at the below and then from its facts and from the empiricism, it goes upwards and develops laws and then precepts and then, uh, you know, principles, right, of the universe. But it's above never really becomes divine because it's still only building it from the below. And so in a way... Steiner is sort of, is he sort of taking a cross section of both of these and saying, look, how they're both super, super important because without this, without the below, you're not really dealing with the reality that you have at hand. But without the above, you don't really know what your actions are truly mirroring, right? So is that what, what we could say about Steiner in terms of, is that it's a cross section? Yeah, yeah, it kind of balance. I mean, his sort of, he, he comes to, have this kind of system that we'll talk about of the Christ as this balancing point between two extremes. One st extreme is uh, being he refers to to as Ariman from the Zoroastrian religion, which is quite important, which we can get to. And the other one he refers to as Lucifer. So he says that in the Bible, these two, and through the development of theology, that it was understood up maybe as late as the Middle Ages that these two um, beings were separate, but that they sort of have been conflated into the idea of, of the devil. But actually, Satan and Lucifer are different beings. One, he says, Araman is a better way to think about what Satan represents. There's also an antichrist called Sorat, which is different. <laughs> then there is Lucifer. And so the Christ balances between two extremes, Lucifer and Araman. They essentially represent, in a very general, simplistic sense, total absorption and revelation. Maybe that's Lucifer. And total materialism, uh, which is Araman which is mm. just the physical reality, no spirit. So pure spirit, pure materiality. And he says that the Christ brings these two together. Why does the Christ bring these two together? Because uh, in, he's the only being in history who took the purely divine, the purely out there, mm. uh, incarnated into a physical body, purely physical, and experienced death, which no immortal being is supposed to experience. Only humans are supposed to experience that. So this act of sort of a divine being experiencing mortal death on the historical stage, this is what he talks about in Christianity's mystical fact. This uh, brings this ability for human beings to 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 hold this middle point between these two extremes. And out of this middle point, yes, for Steiner, this is where you could develop a kind of true your true awareness of, of reality of being uh, of your spiritual being. I mean, Steiner is also a big um, 
you know, he's also quite influenced by these um, non-European sort of Asian and religiosities and religion, Asian philosophies. And even if they're misinterpreted to a certain extent through, through theosophy, they still inform his own, his own system to, to a great deal. And they're not entirely wrong. So for instance, the concept of Maya is uh, important for him. And so, you know, most of reality that we experience at the, the physical reality is Maya for Steiner. But at the same point, he says, if you want to encounter the, the spiritual, you have to stay with this reality. You have to stay with the physical. And he sort of draws on Goethe to talk about this, that the spiritual world is in a certain sense, or the physical world is the spiritual world turned inside out. Mm-hmm. And that you can sort of penetrate into the physical to arrive at the spiritual. So he says, don't leave the physical. You know, a lot of anthroposophical meditations are like staring at seeds. And if you stare at the seed, um, that you would plant, you can sort of envision the archetypal form of the plant growing out of the seed. This is one of the, the like exercises he gives in um, in the archives. In, in Dornak, I encountered some in some of his letters to another follower. He gave him this um, meditation to think about you to stare at a plant and to say that I am the, the plant. I I live because of the plant. The plant dies for me, but then to reverse it and to imagine yourself in the plan looking at yourself and to say you know i die so that you might live to kind of like ha- be able to experience the spiritual in the physical um and he has like another exercise for instance where you, you look at your hand and you say that's me then you look at a tree and you say that is also me so there's this sort of smushing together of um the physical and the material rather than keeping them separate. And it's like the, the science and religion or science and revelation thing, rather than seeing them as two separate realms, we're, we're, we're bringing them together. It's part of his whole project, you know, with, with Geisteswissenschaft and spiritual science. Mm-hmm. So I, in what sense is the pure spirit of Lucifer, is, is that seen as something which wouldn't be Christ-like to be, how is that Luciferic to be fully, you know, up? Yeah, the the thing is, there the whole background to this kind of like Christ uh, mythology that he has is is pretty elaborate, and so it's easy to get sort of just caught up in all the little nuances of it, mm-hmm. and then to go off on this is what this means and this is what that means. So I kind of want to avoid that, but at the same okay. point, there's no way to sort of um, understand it without talking a little bit about his um, his worldview, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it is maybe just to step back a, a little bit that he has a sort of different reading of, 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 of all this, the normal Christian biblical and Hebrew Bible account. He has this kind of esoteric reading of all of it. One of the things that's crucial for it, which I hope we get to later, is um, is the is Manichaeism. So he has a kind of Manichaean, uh, he would not call it Gnostic, but his people who attacked him called it Gnostic. He tried to, maybe he would admit that it was heretical, certain mm-hmm. of his, these beliefs, but he, he saw Gnosticism as being inspired by Lucifer actually. And this was a sort of um, a uh, Lucifer takes you into fantasy in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. The revelation of wisdom of knowledge can also lead to, yeah, egoism, but sort of self-aggrandizement, Lucifer mm-hmm. pride, you know, uh, elitism, these sorts of things. But ultimately, those things can produce a kind of fantasy. But if you think about ecstatic states or something, this also would be Luciferic in Steiner's system because it's a sort of abandoning of the physical 
mm -hmm. uh, drugs, you know, um, would also be kind of part of it. So Lucifer is not an evil being. In fact, in my dissertation, I write a lot in one chapter about how Steiner says you cannot re reach the Christ uh, except through Lucifer. <laughs> so is Lucifer Satan? No. No. Okay. Okay. Satan is a different being. Lucifer is a, far, a fallen angel, and maybe it's a fallen archangel. I can't remember. The, the different hierarchies I don't have straight, but Lucifer is a, is a the, you know, the, the, the first part of the story goes, uh, an angel that rebelled hmm. against God and fell with other angels. But um, this fall was uh, created the Luciferic beings. But in Steiner's view and other esotericists that he was at the time and still now and that he you know, was in communication with, Lucifer is going to be redeemed. I mean, Lucifer's, Lucifer's uh, influence on earth brought esoteric gnosis wisdom to humanity. Mm -hmm. It's just that if you go too far into that, you wind up in this extreme of one of these polarities and then you're in fantasy or you're in, um, then you're in trouble. You're not holding this middle point anymore. But over time, that Lucifer will actually be redeemed. And this is the Manichaean part a little bit that I, I would like to get to that by sort of um, by uniting with Luciferic wisdom, meaning like esotericism, like really out there, esoteric, <laughs> secret, you know, Gnostic, the, the real stuff, the real Gnostic, Gnostic knowledge, by uniting with this knowledge, but then holding it in, in, in uh, this kind of Christ middle point, mm -hmm. this process over time will allow the being of Lucifer, which was just an angel, to sort of be restored to heaven. So in the end, Lucifer himself was also redeemed. So he's not like a purely evil figure mm. at all, really. In fact, Steiner says you, you can't reach, if you go to just to try to reach Christianity in this normal way, you won't do it. You have to go through this esoteric Gnostic Luciferic route through Lucifer to get to Christ. In fact, like Edward Shores had this famous quote that he put in his book that said, uh, um, Christos Luciferos Verso, I think is what it was. Mm. can't remember the exact Latin, but it means Christ is the true Lucifer. Yeah. So it's an interesting sort of parallel there between, but this has nothing to do with Satan. Mm. Satan for, for Steiner is he, he gives the name Ariman, which is this name from the Zoroastrian religion that it is true that in the Zoroastrian religion, it, it represents um, evil and, and material darkness, you know, not the opposite of Ahua Mazda, which is light, you know? Mm. And um, it's, you know, it's not really clear why, exactly why Steiner wants to use this term. I mean, it fits quite well. It's his own interpretation of it. It's not the exact uh, exact way that it's used in, in Zoroastrianism either. But so, and this is a fallen, I think this is a fallen archangel, mm -hmm. the Satan being who he refers to as, uh, as uh, Araman. But this being will not be redeemed, actually. Um, this being will uh, stay sort of separate. And in fact, as it stays separate and becomes purely material, technological, we could say, um, it draws certain other beings with it into this sort of fake, artificial, not world. <laughs> it's kind of the way that Steiner talks about it. So Lucifer will be redeemed, uh, but Araman will not be redeemed. And he talks about how, you know, these, there's lots of famous iconography of Christ being crucified between the two thieves. Mm -hmm. And that frequently you find one thief, uh, with the legs really twisted up and sort of facing away from Christ and one sort of more sort of um, more bodily looking or a little bit more, you know, how do I put it like more expressive in its, 
in its body looking towards the Christ. Mm -hmm. He says that this is the representation of Lucifer on the one side uh, who will be redeemed because he will allow the um, Christ impulse to to infuse him. And the Armon is the representation of this other thief who mm -hmm. turns away. So like even right there, we're already getting into a bunch of strange uh, mm. <laughs> nuances and strange um, reinterpretations <clears throat> that are, it's easy just to keep following. Cause there's a lot more. That's just kind of one example, but you could just keep following this through a bunch of other ones and just kind of get lost in, in the weeds. You know what I mean? Well, I would, I would add in here, you mentioned last time, I think after we, finished uh, recording about how you've occasionally opened up go jeff's bills above sales to his grandson and been like what the hell's going on here <laughs> right exactly that is a, that is a really a 1200 page book about the redemption if we do look at it from steiner's view it's about the redemption of lucifer who would right be, that makes who sense, would be yeah. renamed as beelzebub but mm -hmm. that entire this is my own reading uh mm -hmm. well from Araj, but that entire narrative is really an allegorical, an allegory of the individual experience. So the inner right. Beelzebub or the inner Lucifer, which is needed as the fuel, as almost the contrast, right? So it's like the development of a personality, of an egotistical personality um, as a stake, as fuel to use. So, 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 so it's like the great irony of how can you overcome pride without initially being prideful? How can you right. how can you get to get to heaven without the contrast of getting out of hell? Mm -hmm. So it's it's the great irony of esoteric teaching in, in a certain sense, especially within the West, is we have the best fuel <laughs> to become enlightened, quote unquote, because mm -hmm. you know we're, we're almost in hell, right? and that's the, right. that's in a way, strangely, a great starting place to become. Mm -hmm to go to the next level yeah to go to the, the next, next level step. yeah yeah and it, like it's interesting that you say that about gertrude because this idea is not i mean steiner develops his own vision of these things in a quite interesting way but this is not just him thinking about this i mean scholars sort of are at pains to talk about whether there is an actual esoteric current a continuous one in history or something but there are a lot of shared views among a lot of them and stuff like this Steiner is clearly pulling some of this out of theosophy, but he had connections with Freemasons, which are also quite important. He had a lot of connections with like um, sort of other groups of like um, Masonic Rosicrucian type, you know, groups, alchemists, practicing alchemists at the time he was quite close with. Also sort of some Martinists, you know, the Rose Societis Rosicruciana in Anglia in, the, in England. Mm. He was also, so he, he, was, he was embedded in these occult orders. Anything heretical, bring it in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> And so he is stitching them together in his own way, but they are, have some, a lot of them have other versions of this belief um, as well. But I thought maybe we could, maybe we should just bring in this, this, um, I mean, this Manichaean yeah, thing. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because like in Steiner's time, there was a certain amount known about Mani. There's much more now, mm -hmm. but it's still like a, a work in progress about who was this figure of Mani, mm -hmm. what were his beliefs and what did he um what did he, you know, what did he do? What did he believe? What really went on? And so uh, the, in terms of what Steiner knew about Mani at the time, it's quite limited, but he says that, you know, he's reading from uh, the, what scholars at the time were saying about him. And he says in, in a quote that, you know, the scholars have, got, have gotten it wrong. But he, he has, in my view, he has a kind of Manichaean form of Christianity. That's kind of the, uh, a thesis that I'm 
trying to develop, I'm hoping in a paper, because it's hard to understand like what kind of Christianity, you could just call it esoteric Christianity. So what, what, what is Ma Manichaeanism in a, in a nutshell? Well, I thought first, if I could just okay, read okay. a quote from Steiner, what he says about um, Mani. Mm -hmm. Mani. So this is the first quote is, Christian occultism is derived from the Manichaeans whose founder, Mani, lived on the earth 300 years after Jesus the Christ. The essence of Manichaean teaching relates to the doctrine of good and evil. In ordinary thought, the good and the evil are two irreducible qualities, one of which, the good, must destroy the other, the evil. To the Manichaeans, however, evil is an integral part of the cosmos, collaborating in its evolution, finally to be absorbed and transfigured by the good. The great feature of Manichaeanism is that it studies the function of evil and of suffering in the world, end mm -hmm. quote. Mm -hmm. So the, like the cosmology of the Manichaeans, as much as they sort of know it, is that the light, there is a realm of light, of God of light and a God of darkness. It's coming, Mani was a prophet who was, you know, from Persia, sort of inspired by this uh, Zoroastrian of his time, uh, of which had come before, but also was having a resurgence, I think, during his time. But he had he had his own sort of spin on it <laughs> and that there in this cosmology there was the father of light and the father of darkness and the, the realm of darkness attacks the realm of light so mm -hmm. it's a dualism you know this is why we have this word manichaean dualism it's a, mm -hmm. it's a dualist system it's not and the light and the there's not just sort of one sort not just one it's not a kind of monotheistic it's dualistic there's the realm of darkness and the realm of light and that the when the realm of darkness tries to um attack the realm of light and um, sort of invade it. The father of the of light, Manichaeanism is also called the religion of light sometimes. So the God of light anticipates this and sort of sends out an emissary to, to intercept the realm of darkness as it comes forward. And this is um, the figure of Adam, but it's not like a physical figure. It's a, it's a divine figure, but that Adam kind of go, penetrates into this world of darkness first to um, infuse its light into it, to sort of get evil at the roots, you know? And then the two become mixed. And so out of this sort of moment is how we get the universe. But the universe then is, is a mixture of this, the death of this darkness, the realm of darkness and Adam's light uh, interpenetrating it. And so you have this realm of darkness and light and according to the Manichaeanism, Manichaeans, you sort of bring this light the, the goal is to extract the light from the darkness and carry it back out. And the darkness will be sort of left here and won't go away. It'll always be there, the evil, but it will sort of be, you know, incapacitated or, or transformed. And so that's another thing that was big um, for Steiner is it's about studying evil to transform it, not to conquer it. And I have another quote from him that uh, where he says this, that maybe I'll read, but another reason why this is important is Mani also said, um, that he was the paraclete, that he was the, the Holy Spirit. He was popular among Buddhists and Zoroastrians. So his system is also very similar to Steiner's in that it kind of suffused Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, and Christianity and Judaism all into one thing. So when people, so that's what I see Steiner doing. When people sometimes read um, Steiner, they kind of want to interpret him in, in a new age way. Because new age beliefs or groups sometimes have the same thing of like buddha is there and then you know the, all the religions are together but uh manny was also doing this this is why he was so heretical in fact he was killed by um the zoroastrian priest and uh strung and hung up on the gates of this town called ganeshapur this sort of message to uh 
that this kind of way, this is heretical, this belief system that Mani was, was promulgating. But it doesn't go away. In fact, it survives uh, in countries like Bulgaria, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina. And even now in the Bulgarian church, there's this sort of influence of this. I mean, this is like the last region to sort of resist, <laughs> to a certain extent, the Romans and the, orth the, constant, the Orthodox coming from Constantinople at the time, in the, around the eight, 900s. Um, but, but in the West, it, it's, it continued in uh, the form, like the Bogomils are who came about, I don't know if you've heard of them, in, the, in this region, in this sort of heretical belief, dualistic belief influenced by, Monarchy, uh, by the Monarchian belief system. But in the south of France, you had the Albigensians and the Cathari, mm -hmm. who also had a similar, uh, at least an influence of this dualist, dualistic Manichaean form of Christianity. And they were, of course, I mean, the, the Cathars were exterminated by the Inquisition in a, in a large number. And this is sort of seen as the end of this heresy, they called, called the Great Heresy. But um, in my opinion, Steiner is sort of resurrecting this. Nietzsche is doing it first with his book, <laughs> sort of reintroducing Zarathustra into modern consciousness. And Steiner, though, is going sort of further with that, with sort of with his Manichaean Christianity of, of kind of bringing this sort of the great heresy back uh, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you want to uh, enter in the other, the other quote? Yeah. So the other one's a little bit longer. It's um, all right. So here's another quote from Steiner. Centuries ago, when the future with the future development of humanity in view, secret orders which set themselves the highest conceivable tasks were established. One such order was the Manichaean, of which ordinary scholarship gives a quite false picture. The Manichaeans are supposed to have taught that a good and an evil, good and evil are part of the natural order and have always been in conflict with one another, this having been determined for them by creation. Here there is a glimmer of the order's real task, but distorted to the point of nonsense. The individual members of the order were specially trained for their great work. The order knew that someday there will be men in whose karma there is no longer any evil, but that there will also be a race that is evil by nature, among whom all kinds of evil will be developed to a high degree than, in the, than even in the most savage animals, for they will practice evil consciously, exquisitely, with the aid of highly developed intellects. Even now, the Manichaean order is training its members so that they may be, may be able to transform evil in later generations. The extreme difficulty of the task is that these evil ra races will not be like bad children in whom there is also goodness, which can be brought out by uh, precept and example. The members of the Manichaean order are, all, are, they are already learning how to transform quite radically those who by nature are wholly evil. And then the transformed evil will become a quite special good. The power to affect this change will bring about a condition of moral holiness on earth. Hmm. So the point of this is, first of all, speaking about Manichaeans as an order is sort of interesting as a cult order. But the, the crucial thing to notice there is this idea about transforming evil, hmm. that the evil will be evil will continue to sort of be, in Steiner's view, more um, more spread out, more prominent. You know, Armand will sort of have more dominion, I guess, over this realm, and evil will, will proliferate more, but that the, the Manichaeans, this Manichaean order, which is really, this is the way that Steiner is thinking about his own, his own kind of um, Christian Christ Christology, but also sort of Christian worldview, that these people um, transform this evil, have the ability to transform this evil uh, into good. 
And then the good that comes out of it is actually even better for, for the world, this sort of moral humanity, as he calls it, than if this evil had not been there and not transformed. So the two are sort of like uh, connected and, and, um, and interpenetrate each other. It isn't like one destroys the other. It's that one, um, the two need each other, and then the one transforms the other through this process. Wow. Yeah, so I know it's a lot, but in my opinion, that's a sort of, if you want to think about Steiner, one could just say, here's a bunch of ideas that really sound like New Age beliefs, and that's true. But you could also, there's this whole other sort of background that is uh, connected to a history um, in Christianity, in the belief system of Christianity. And he himself references Mani, and Mani is a sort of prominent figure within the anthroposophical movement to a certain extent. And so I think that's sort of a better way to start thinking about his ideas about Christianity and why, for instance, Krishna shows up and Buddha shows up. You know, like these characters are also part of, if we get to it, what happens at the, in what he calls the mystery of Golgotha, the, the incarnation of the Christ. Well, I mean, there was about a thousand directions we could go in, so we might as well go in that one. What does happen at the Golgotha and the, the resurrection? Well, the reason why I mentioned the Buddha and Krishna is because for him, they, um, they are present in this, this moment. So to go back just a little bit, Maybe you've already, I think, I can't remember if we talked about this or if you read it, but he has a kind of different um, birth origin story of, of Jesus. We didn't so, mention this. Story. Okay, so he, he, he takes the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of uh, Matthew, which have two different birth, birth accounts of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And mostly scholars say because two people got their, two of these writers, whoever wrote these things, got different versions and wrote it down wrong. Mm -hmm. It's kind of their way to kind of, make sense of this but the two have definitely been smushed together when people celebrate christmas and you think about the christmas story it's the two accounts kind of smushed together but they don't re both report the same thing so steiner says that this is actually two different beings that are being described there were two jesuses that were born and so the gospel of luke um this he ref is referred to as the the nathan jesus and that is because it's the son of um he's the son of, of this line they're Kind of confusing. Let's see here. There are two um, two sons of David. Mm -hmm. One of them is named um, Solomon. The other one is named Nathan. And so these are the two lines of these two beings that Steiner talks about. The one line is the birth of the Jesus and the one line from Nathan is recounted in the Gospel of Luke. Mm -hmm. One Jesus and the other line of Solomon is recounted in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, this so-called Solomon Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Uh, an angel of the Lord appears to, to Joseph in a dream. And it's the birth takes place in a house, like a stately kind of house in Bethlehem. The Luke Jesus, coming from this Nathan line, was born in Nazareth. In this one account, the archangel Gabriel appears to Maria, the Annunciation. And this birth takes place in a manger. Mm -hmm. So he sort of says that these are actually describing, he says to take this literally, that this is not a confused account, that this is two different Jesuses, two different families of Jesuses being born. So to go even further into uh, New Age land, in the one Jesus of Solomon, this is, according to Steiner, the reincarnation of Zoroaster, mm -hmm. the eye, the sort of ego, the, the spirit, we could say. We haven't got into the specifics here, but like the spirit of Zoroaster 
the soul of Zoroaster, this great being reincarnates in the Solomon Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is why the three kings come in this account of the of the of the birth to give these gifts following the star because there's a prophecy in Zoroastrianism that he would come back follow the star. The other one, this Nathan Jesus, is uh, a new soul. Steiner says so. It's not um, this. It's a soul that has never incarnated before, mm-hmm. but it, it did have a life before as Krishna, who is a sort of divine being. So then we have Zoroaster over here. Then we have how does, uh, he, Krishna. How does he figure that out? Yeah, I don't know. We had to. We had to find. We had to ask him. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, there's not like sources for this. Like I, there you can find some sources, but the if we sort of we're in the middle of mythology, if we step out of mythology back into scholarship land, there mm, you mm. can find some things that he's reading that talk about some of this. Some of these ideas are popular in theosophy to some extent, mm. but a lot of this is his own, um, his own read, his own. Contribution. Okay, so we have uh, we have Zoroaster, and we have Krishna, right? As two and, Jesuses. Yes, as two Jesuses, mm. and you have the Buddha showing up uh, here as well. Okay, and the Buddha shows up in the Narmanakaya body of the um, the one Jesus, the same the Krishna Jesus. Mm. So another thing that we also haven't talked about, which is crucial to um, also this sort of Manichaean type of uh christianity is the idea of subtle bodies and it's because it's more of a sort of mixture of um eastern and western beliefs like like mani was so so human beings have subtle bodies different bodies not just the physical one a soul spirit other things as well and also divine beings have this and the earth has this so Mm -hmm. just so in one of these subtle bodies the spirit of the buddha also um sort of reincarnates but not in a physical way just within this particular sheath or subtle body of the nathan jesus so that to go on with the story the um solomon jesus who has all this wisdom not only from solomon but from being reincarnated this reincarnation of zoroaster dies at around age 12 and when it dies the spirit in it wakes up in the other jesus and the other jesus who's a new soul born in a manger kind of has no worldly you know know-how whatsoever Suddenly, this ancient Zoroastrian divine spirit wakes up in it, and then the two have sort of merged into this Nathan being, this Nathan Jesus body, which was prepared to hold uh, both of these uh, these eyes or these egos. At this moment, when the Nathan Jesus wakes up with this other eye, the Zoroastrian ego in it, he then wanders into the temple and starts preaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is why the parents come in in the Gospel of Luke. And say, what is going on? Why, you know, the rabbis are all listening to, to Jesus and so forth, this 12-year-old kid preaching in the temple. So that's the court. So he says that that moment in the gospel is actually describing that part of this sort of esoteric history of, okay. um, yeah. Makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to, to say at the beginning of this talk is, you know, Tertullian said, uh, credo quia absurdum est. Mm-hmm. Means, um, I believe because it is absurd. You know, there is a kind of like uh, element of this of Steiner, which is um, it can it goes around in a lot of sort of fantastical directions for sure. But when you have sort of all of these religions sort of together in this moment, it's interesting to me that Mani also had kind of similar approach to um, to his spirituality of sort of um, <clears throat> bringing them, bringing all these ideas together. <clears throat> and this is also why, as I mentioned, he was so um, heretical. Mm. seen as so heretical 
but to get to finish, sorry, I know this right. goes on actually. If we haven't even gotten to the the resurrection, but uh, there is there are heretical beliefs here for sure that already existed. In some, you know, you can find Gnostic gospels that kind of talk about two two Jesus, the appearance of two Jesuses. You can also find in the Dead Sea Scrolls, for instance, this idea that two messiahs were going to come, perhaps. Mm. So it's not like there's sort of no basis for this, but there, it's clearly his own sort of visionary story you know steiner's that is mm-hmm. when he's 30 then um the there's one heresy that was uh, called adoptionism that was debated uh, frequently and this was the idea that the jesus of nazareth body was adopted by the christ mm-hmm. by the christ spirit mm-hmm. and so steiner actually holds this view so in the baptism of at the jordan um I was just this about is to when, ask what, what what is happening at the baptism then. This is when the this being that I already told the background of the sort of two Jesuses becoming mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and with Krishna and Buddha and Zoroaster all in there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this new soul that had uh, um, in cart had, had incarnated in the manger is this Nathan Jesus. Mm-hmm. This was a according to Steiner, kind of the copy of, of the Adam that was held back. Of course, um, right. So this is sort of Adam's Obviously. soul. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this being, this, Nath- this Jesus of Nazareth being um, is baptized by John. And this is when the Christ spirit, which is the son being one of the Elohim, incarnates into the being and sort of takes it over and uses it as a vehicle for three years mm. and then dies a physical death, mm. um, a, a mortal death, goes into the earth and uh, enters into the earth and becomes sort of united with the earth and the earth begins to shine so there's about a hundred other more sort of layers to this story it's like mm-hmm. when you when you read anthroposophical literature they are caught up on all of these details about these sort of different perhaps weird you know weird or heretical beliefs that are part of the kind of vision he gave you know but it's sort of in a nutshell his um the beginnings of what he his crystal his christ um what he calls the mystery of Golgotha. So I mean, a lot. I mean, obviously, there is a there is a, so many loose ends that he would have to tie up in relation to the the effects of such beliefs in relation to like the the foundations of theology, for instance. So right. I mean, just to take one clear example, the resurrection as the redemption. Uh, you know, what happens to the idea of being redeemed and the idea of sin for Steiner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that he talks so much about sin. He talks more about evil. Mm-hmm. You know, he definitely talks a lot about evil. And uh, there is a redemption. I mean, this moment of Christ for him redeems the whole of humanity to re-spiritualize itself. I mean, in some ways, it's the same. It just has this sort of other layer, these other sort of other ideas mixed in. I mean, I'm sure that he would think of, I don't know, I'd have to look up the idea of sin, particularly what he thinks about that. I imagine he would just associate it with sort of what it means is like disconnected from the divine. Mm-hmm. He talks much more about evil and being and materialism mm-hmm. and that this for him is sort of a disbelief in the spirit is like the greatest sin in his time. And that the this mystery of Golgotha, this moment where all of these strange stories that he gives about Jesus's life happened, this allows the human being to be a complete individual and sort of redeems them to have um, this sort of free eye that he Mm -hmm. develops in his philosophy. And this free eye can have a sort of individual relationship with Christ and then can kind of be re-spiritualized. But 
there is also the sort of downside of it that this introduction of individualism also led to complete separation from other beings and from the the embeddedness in the world, the sort of holistic uh, connection with the world. So it has kind of a dual, um, you know, a dual, uh, it has a good, and it's like a double-edged, double-edged uh, sword. It has a good side and a bad side. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is the redemption, I would say, for him too. Are human beings as individuals meant to sort of undertake uh, practice in relation to this transformation of evil? Is that to be a goal in a certain sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you're supposed to, and this is, you know, the Manichaeans did it through ascetic practice, how they uh, pulled light out of the evil matter, you know, through asceticism and through meditation and prayer. It's similar with Steiner. Like he's a, he's, he has a big, a big part of Steiner's whole system is meditation. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest, I'm not too sure where to go because there's so many things. I mean, is this is there any key key parts to this Christology that we that haven't been added in to sort of wrap it up? Well, it, you know, this it's funny because after you talk about all that, you it's like, yeah, where do you go from there? But this is probably why this sort of thing is usually only talked about, you know, among anthroposophists in their own groups. Mm. And even Steiner when he was talking about these things he had kind of public lectures he gave and then he gave private lectures to his to this sort of esoteric school Mm. and part of it is because it is um you know it is quite quite outrageous in a certain sense or quite expansive that you know what are you exactly being told what are you what are you being given here you know Mm. for me i've been in the way I talked about it in my dissertation a little bit is I sort of tried, there's one other person who'd written a book about this in Germany. And I, and I agree that I saw Steiner as kind of a visionary storyteller that if a person is having their own visionary experience, you know, some, some sort of mystical experience, which I think Steiner was having, and then went to tell this story to other people, not so much as like facts, even if he wanted to call them that, but more as like, this is what I've experienced. You know, mm-hmm. this is my version of it Mm -hmm. so i think that's what he was doing and as i mentioned there's sort of a hundred other layers to this whole thing i mean if people wanted to read more about it just kind of go into what he calls the mystery of golgotha is sort of this mysterious event that's uh that's misunderstood i guess the only other thing i would say is we didn't talk about um the mystery uh, christianity's mystical fact what he Mm -hmm. kind of starts with this whole process one, one thing i guess to to bring in in relation to christ has gone into the earth and that's why it's glowing i mean what happens to the notion of judgment day yeah he he doesn't really talk much about that in fact like when he wants to talk about the book of revelation which is extremely important for him he does more what what um um what gertrude what you said gertrude did that that book for him is about initiation about personal initiation the stages of initiation sort of of a person becoming initiated sort of veiled in um like alchemical kind of like, you know, esoteric language, something like that. He does have a, an end game mm-hmm. um, in my dissertation. Also, there's a chapter about technology. So Arman does, um, I mean, there is, it's not what it, the, you know, the Bible has, you know, where we get the end times thing from the Bible is this book of Revelation. That for Steiner is, as I mentioned, more about esoteric development. Mm-hmm. But there is a kind of end in this cosmology in that, um as Araman sort of gains more and more power on the earth, 
then he also incarnates in a physical body like the Christ did. And this sort of brings the, um, the sort of death now, like this is when, when Steiner said in that quote that evil is sort of holy evil. The earth becomes holy evil at this mm-hmm. point. And Armand establishes basically a kind of artificial world in which he can trap souls. And whereas, and then there was a small group of people who will be able to um, develop from every, tr- every tribe, Steiner says, small group of people from every tribe who will be able to sort of develop themselves spiritually enough to um, sort of, you know, s- go through this process and survive it and sort of come out the other side and not a new Jerusalem, but he would like, if you even just bring up the idea of new Jerusalem, he would have an esoteric, uh, an esoteric explanation for what that means. So you know? that to me sounds like uh, artificially intelligent life extension, right? Like placing consciousnesses into. Yeah. And he talks about that actually. In fact, he says that he, what I reason why I found it important is because in this chapter, he, he, that I wrote in my dissertation, I tried to show that he actually was talking about the problems of like things like transhumanism and artificial intelligence in his own way, in his own, in his own time. Other people were too. I mean, there were other people, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century in, in Europe freaked out about technology, even in the 19th century, you know, and mm-hmm. writing about the connection between technology and human beings. But uh, Steiner adds this whole sort of theological metaphysical element that there's technology has this sort of harmonic or evil quality to it. Mm. And that human beings in one quote, Steiner says that human beings are going to have to kind of grapple with the connection between humans and uh, machines in the future. It's going to be like the biggest problem. He says, Mm -hmm. what is the relationship between the two? Because they're going to want to merge. He also talks about or they are, they will merge. This Manichaean part, which is with, if you go into anthroposophical communities, there's lots of debates about this as well. Like the Manichaean part does not say to combat evil. It says to merge with it, Mm -hmm. which is different than, you know, fighting it or even resisting it. So there are some anthroposophists and I don't know where Steiner, you know, I'd have to look again to see maybe where does Steiner fall in this. But for the most part, I think Steiner falls in the camp of accepting you accept modernity and all the evils that come with it. You don't try to go into a community. I mean, he says that quite clearly and live off the grid or something. Mm. You allow these evils that come with technology, with come with materialism into you, and then you uh, spiritualize them. But with, the, with technology, as we know, that's a risky. Right. Uh, more, more often than not, you, you, you tr- att- 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 more often than not, attempts to use technology for a good very quickly devolve into something pretty dystopian right right yeah and that's why they have debates in these you know i've, I've read i read some of their, their I mean, writings that, that too. doesn't that doesn't negate the possibility that you you can use it for good it's just that i guess looking at it you know statistically most times it has been used it because it is it i mean yeah it's a tough it's a tough question because of course evil itself is extremely tempting all right, right. so to say like Oh, don't worry. I'm going to walk into there. I'll sort them out. Don't worry. I'll come back. It's like, yeah, okay, but you don't know what being in there is like yet, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't right. know what they're going to offer you and things like that. So it's it's like a virtue. It's like an untested virtue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think he would sort of throw all that aside. Like, let's take an example of not in his time, but in current times of like allowing yourself to get a microchip for some reason, mm. for identif- identification purposes or for opening a door, you mm. know, opening mm. your doors, like e- e- they have these already for like use, e- use e- being, having things more easy for mm-hmm. you. 
this interpenetration of the technology into the human would be putting evil like you know because in he also talks about um and i go into to depth in this chapter about how demons are sort of allowed to enter in through the developing machines and technology and constructing things so putting the um chip in you would be allowing for sure a demons <laughs> into your body mm. but i and this is a good question because like would he go with it would he tell you to do that or not you know like there's his sort of i philosophical presentation would be and some anthroposophists would say this actually and do you should allow it yourself to to, to undergo this rather than resist it I mean, that's and then but that being going into you is different from you going into that's true it's... but i think it's more about the uniting okay. with it you know and i don't know what he would say about that i mean he kind of it's a bit tricky actually you'd have to then like his whole his whole oeuvre is also a bit tricky because he mostly gave lectures. Then he had these kind of you know secret, more esoteric teachings. He only wrote a certain number of books. Then when he died, the Nazis came to power, and there was a huge um, controversy around that. And a lot of his stuff was destroyed. And then after the Nazis. Wow. And, and a lot that, that, that shows how much he worked though right if a lot of his stuff was destroyed and we still have yep, almost yeah, 250 volumes and mm -hmm. counting yeah it's quite impressive and then you know after the war was over there was then an, an, an attempt to reconstruct steiner again you know out of this and mostly his wife did it this is the comparison i make in the dissertation that weber's wife did the same thing for weber steiner's wife makes a career out of steiner's writing for him edits it you then get a version of it after World War II, you then get it translated into English and get another version mm. of it. And texts are being sanitized and changed all throughout this big time. So it's it's hard to really know exactly. It seems to me though that he he is he's definitely giving the message that you should not resist this evil. Just let it let the demons possess you, and then transform them with your own um, conscious development in the Christ or something like that. That seems to be what he's saying. But of mm. course, it gets very different if someone's going to come up to you and microchip you. <laughs> by force let's say even you know what would he advise in such a situation i guess if it's by force he would just say do it but, it, but should someone then go seek it out i think that's a different i mean to be, I'll, I'll be honest with you and this i mean it's a risky thing to say i guess i do see remnants of the catholicism within that worldview because one of the you know there's many catholic writers who have who have written about you know um the the fact that despair or despondency is a form of uh, venial sin you know you, you should be you should be, be hopeful but actually you know to talk to sort of draw in i guess tolkien-esque uh, mm -hmm. catholicism the idea of hope not just in the face of possible defeat but hope in the face of definite defeat right so being within the mo being within modernity it's like modernity's won right so mm -hmm. it's like it's not a battle between Right. light and darkness or good and evil it's mm -hmm. like uh it's an impotent battle on the side of light amidst evil and that's where true hope is which is a very right. uh well i guess it's it's more a christian thing but i you know i see it a lot in specifically catholic writers so yeah and as i mentioned like when steiner broke with the theosophist the any basson accused him of sort of his jesuit there's some quote from her where he said his jesuit training got the better of him you know or, or something like that and mm -hmm. There is a clear, like, he was clearly influenced by, I mean, he is clearly Christian. It's just that this Christianity that he, you know, he, he learned um, and was close to a priest that he learned from, he read. If you look in his library, um, they've now published the catalog. It's filled with books by theologians, both Protestants 
and um, Catholic writers. What we didn't mention is that um, he also helped a, a group of priests found a new church hmm. called the uh, Christian Gemeinschaft. And this, this has sort of all this Christian world be put into it in a church and has sort of new right sacramental right that they do. So it's clearly Christian. He's coming out of a, of a Christian culture. He was born in Croatia, mm. modern day Croatia, which is this region where some of this, this Manichaean, Cathari, Bulgarian Orthodox Christianity still exists, which has some different beliefs that sort of still have this kind of platonic um, str- strangeness with different souls, different bodies. Um, these kinds of ideas still exist a little bit more there. And um, so it's, it's, it continues with that. So he has his Christianity, but he also has these kind of pagan esoteric beliefs in there as well. But I think where it might even get really weird is when he brings in the science, because he's also trying to bring in science into, into this picture. And so when you bring in the concept of evolution, <laughs> then the world's evolving, humans are evolving, new forms, you know, morphology is a thing. It suddenly does become a bit like a sci-fi novel, you know? Mm. Yeah, there's a lot. And I mean, yeah. any thread of Steiner's probably goes on for another four books at some point. Or... Right, but I, I did want to, like mm-hmm. those kinds of stories, usually you would just go read, you know, in a book if you were interested, but they're not really presented, but I thought it would be useful just to kind of present at least a part of the the kind of big vision that he presented about the Christ, because he ha- it has all of these other sort of reinterpretations and heretical gnostic heterodox whatever you want to call it beliefs um as part of it mm-hmm. is, is there anything you'd, you'd like to add do you think is key or where, where people could begin i mean i'd recommend christianity is mystical fact but this that doesn't that touches more on um steiner's individual practice and the, the growth of the individual it doesn't touch as much on the 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 christology the actual uh historic mm-hmm. reading of steiner Right. Yeah. And that, no, that's a good place to start. And in that book, he's also trying to show how the sort of the initiations of the ancient mysteries became a historical fact in the life of Jesus. This is what he calls the mystery of Golgotha. So it sort of starts there. Mm. One one book, I'd, I mean, we just republished uh, the philosophy of mysticism, but one book I'm eyeing up for a good new edition would be Edward Charest's uh, the the great mysteries, right? Which was Absolutely. seems pretty key at the time. Yeah, and they were good friends, you know, and so they both have. Shrey shares a lot of these same ideas, um, coming from Theosophy, sort of, but coming from other sources as well. And also, you mentioned Valentin Tomborg. He was also a, a follower, a close follower of Steiner. Steiner signed his actual membership card, um, and then he eventually was booted out. <laughs> I think by his wife. I think after Steiner was died, but. It, Somewhere I read that Valentin Tomborg said what he was doing was taking this sort of anthroposophical impulse into the Catholic Church because he was, you know, criticized for joining the church later mm. in life or something. And then he, and then he, rumor has it, wrote Meditations on the Tarot. Mm-hmm. Mm. It all ties up in the end. Yes, it's a great uh, grand conspiracy. Mm. Well, I feel we've... Uh... Yeah, we've touched on a big, the big picture of the, the Christology, so it probably is a good place to finish up, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Aaron French, maybe you'll come on again to discuss some other aspects of Steiner's work. But uh, yeah, thanks very much. Thank you. I'd be happy to come on again.